I just hit start. I pressed we, the we, red button. He just pressed the red button, which... Oh, wait, no, that's a self-destruct button. Uh, Travis, that's a self-destruct uh, button! Uh, <laughs> All right, well, I've got our thing recorded, and uh, without further ado, because you guys got the full spiel last time you were on, we'll uh, we know the deal. launch right into this. Let's get a, a rim print, and then I'll get us going. Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. Do you want to get out of here? You talk to me. It's two podcasts enter, one podcast leaves, and Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minute 95, which begins with credits for color and optical effects, and it ends with the Warner Brothers logo and a black screen. But that all sounds a little boring, so we've got something a little bit more interesting (laughs) lined up for you, because it is Friday, it is time for some fresh eyes, which, admittedly, we've seen these eyes before, they belong to... Yuri Lowenthal and Travis Sentel from the You Are Awaited, a Mad Max Free Road podcast. Hi, yeah, guys. We're here witness, to fight. witness us. <laughs> <laughs> I got old eyes and I'm here to fight. Let's do it. Welcome back. Thanks for having us back. We had Thank a good you. time the first Super time. Excited. Any excuse to see Yuri is a good day. What, what are you doing, Let's Julia? Do this. What, what are you doing? Sorry, yeah, leave this in. You leave this in, leave Rick. This in. I swear to God. Warts and all. Warts and all. <laughs> Dirty, radioactive, post-apocalyptic warts and all. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> like that guy in Fury Road the, with the on his lip and who's riding up. The, yeah. The dreads. Yeah. Julia the, yeah. is the posture on the lip of this podcast right now, and I'm into it. You leave this in, Rick. Okay. Screw it. We're doing it live. We're doing it live. Oh, Welcome great. to our podcast, basically. Yeah. I, listen, I mean, our, the parts we get the most feedback on, or used to, when we were doing this, was when we just screw it up. When we screw up, people love it. So yeah, it's a win-win. Yeah. But by losing, do you worse. Can still win. Do worse. I'm saying. <laughs> Speaking of wins, this entire episode is going to be us battling it out in the epic showdown of Road Warrior versus Fury Road, the original versus the multi-million-dollar new entry slash quasi remake movie of the Mad Max series, we are going to go category by category down the list and say, you know what? Who did it better? George Miller's 1981 entry or his 2015 blockbuster hit? I love that he's competing against himself. Oh, yeah. So he wins no matter what. Two Georges enter. I guess both Georges leave. leave Because it's just really one George. So, yeah, okay. Great. This is essentially the George Miller version of Alien vs. Predator because no matter who wins... (laughs) The audience loses. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. All right, I'm going to keep the cursing to a minimum this time. I'm going to do my best. Thank you. Although I did, I, I have, hold on, hold on. Before I say that, I have beef with you, Rick. Listen, I listened to your episode, our episode, whatever. That overdub of my cursing was not nearly as masculine and tough as I thought it might be. And I sort of regret That's my what level you cursing. Get. That's what you get. Because you hold put on. like a dumpy little, and you did tell me what it was going to be, but it was not as feral as I remember it being. Travis, did you forget that Emil Minty was nine years old? At the time that they filmed it, so he wasn't going to sound... I guess it felt more vicious, <laughs> but it was like me trying to be tough, and I just heard... 
Like, meow. I thought, <laughs> damn it, this didn't work out the way I wanted it to. So well played, well played. I say, those best laid plans, they don't always come to fruition. None of my laid plans go to fruition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why we don't prep. And I've got some pretty well laid plans, which means this uh, episode's just going to be... It's going to be an overturned tanker in the middle of the desert. I can just feel it. <laughs> Leaking sand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the dynamic, though, that you're here to, you know, make an organized professional podcast, and we're here to, like, basically throw bombs into the room and run away. <laughs> you're going to fly over us in a gyrocopter just dropping Molotovs like candy. Dropping That's bombs. Right. That's right. That's what we do. So I think we should uh, get this first throwdown rolling. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Dying times here. Between Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior and Mad Max Fury Road, which movie had the better Max, Mel Gibson, or Tom Hardy? You guys, do you want to start us off with your uh, defense of Tom Hardy as the better Max? You're as excited to start. I, yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll this this, can, this can is you, a tough one. Do yep. me a favor. Do not use... This may word, be the toughest one. But yes. No, but do not use the word nipple in your explanation. Go. Uh, then I have nothing left. Okay. <laughs> that was going to be everything. All right. When you, because instead of the word nipple, use the word uh, maraschino but, cherry. <laughs> but we don't, here's the thing. We don't get to see Tom Hardy's nipples God at all. damn it, Yuri. In Fury Road. So it's, so I can't compare it on that level. And yet I can because Mel Gibson's <laughs> nipples are perfect. Anyway, this is tough because, <laughs> I'm so sorry. because it is so, it is such an emotional place for me. Both of these movies, Road Warrior, because I've lived with it for so long and Fury Road, because it you know blew apart my world, and now there is only Fury Road. So ah, there are two Maxes, and Tom Hardy is the more feral Max. Mel's Max was sort of Clint Eastwood, and and Tom Hardy is, is something you know more more arguably unhinged. But see, this this is going to be the hardest one for me. I don't know that I'm going to be able to. Oh, f- it, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. I'll just say quick. I can do mine quickly. Um, yep. I will say that they both suit their movie perfectly. Um, um, Tom Hardy's is a deranged survival machine in a much more post-apocalyptic wasteland. And so, seeing as I'm going to throw in with Mad Max Fury Road at every turn, Tom Hardy. All right. Julia, do you have any comments about Mel Gibson as the better Max of the two? Careful, Julia, you're married. Careful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have plenty of comments about Mel Gibson. They're both so good at being Max... Because both Tom Hardy and Mel Gibson do some of their best acting when they're not talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Which is a hallmark of Max. Mm-hmm. He never talks. But in this case, I think Mel Gibson is better at not talking. Oh, interesting. You think Mel Gibson's better at not talking? I do. I do. I think it is better for him not to talk in general, especially when he's been drinking. Yes. You could argue that most of Mel Gibson's problems would not be in existence if he just kept his mouth shut in certain situations. Yes. I think we can all agree on that. That's fair. That's very fair. But I feel that Mel Gibson is the better Max because he lived his formative years in Australia, so he had the right accent, but he also had the time as Max in the first movie to embody the role. He had the time in Road Worry to really hone that skill. And I feel that Gibson, as Max, better embodies the role because he spent so much time in it. And I feel like bringing in Hardy, yeah, he's really expressive with his eyes when he's not talking, good actor there. But I still don't feel like he has the time invested in the character. Sure. So he's he's got sort of an unfair advantage. Who grunts better though? 
Because they. I mean, Tom they, Hardy. Yeah, I mean, Tom Hardy grunts better than anyone, though. Tom, Tom Hardy grunts better than most animals that I've ever. Also, seen. if you ask me, who's going to survive longer in the wasteland? Tom Hardy. Hmm. You think so? Because he's no. a mess of muscle. He's yeah. a big muscle machine. He's and, gonna go like kill people and take their oil and all that. Okay, that's that's a good point. <laughs> he certainly cared less about the way he looked. I yeah, think. his hair was a yeah. lot more shorn. Yeah, in an ugly fashion. Okay, round one goes to us. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in the battle between Road Warrior versus Fury Road. Who had the better sidekick, Road Warrior with the Gyro Captain or Fury Road with Nux? Duh. Yeah. I mean, you guys Nux. aren't going to argue this one, are you? You can try if you want to. I mean, the Gyro Captain has, we can argue he has the best teeth. Yep. And the weirdest face. Yep. Yeah, what but, metrics are we using here? Because if it's teeth and face. <laughs> right, then Gyro Captain all the way. If it's complete character, full emotional arc, backbone of the film, but, I mean, but let's on. Let's look at uh, Gyro Captain's arc for a second. Um... <laughs> Okay, we're done with that. Now let's look at Nux's arc. No, okay, he's not friends with Max, then he's friends with Max and a bunch of other people, you know, from loner to fighting for the group. Okay, that's... Now let's look at Nux's arc. Nux, you, 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 you're good at this. I think it's the full hero's journey. He goes on the whole thing. He has an idol and he has a god and he sees his god as human first and then sees his god as a flawed human and sees his god as an enemy and then thinks humanism is the way forward, and then says I can sacrifice myself for something, which is what I've wanted to do my entire life, which is to sacrifice myself for a cause, and then says, oh, I have a cause that's secular and not religious, and I'll give my life for these people who I care about. And so this, like, transference, I mean, it covers, like, 8,000 years of human history, basically, in one character and one road chase. It's just the best, man. It's effective screenwriting. It's full character arc. I would argue that it's one of the fullest character arcs we in saw in 2015. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Honestly. Yeah. Um, they, they both wear goggles, so yep. we can compare them. Yeah. There, but I would say Nux definitely has better pants. Yeah. Also, only oh, one of them wait, is an X Man. Wait. wait. <laughs> You're Uh-oh. comparing Nux's pants to the Gyro Captain's yellow jumpsuit? That's fair. Oh, you know what? You got a point. And and he's got and he's got that that trench coat and trench coats always win. Yes, and his pink chucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gyro captain. I will let the gyro captain win on that. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I agree that Nux is a fantastic character. Very well written. You're right. He goes on his own hero's journey that is almost separate from the main storyline. He's got his own thing going on. But the gyro captain, while his story is much more subtle and much quieter, he goes on his own journey from being a loner to finding a place, first a person and then a place, and then a love interest where he can have friends and feel like he belongs and find a future. Mm-hmm. And at first, his intention isn't to fight for any of those things. At one point, he's just interested in taking Arky and running away and having a fantastic life together with this woman that he has a connection with and maybe someday he'll love. And maybe someday she'll love him, but I don't agree that she has a connection <laughs> with him when they first start. I believe it's a one-way street and he is creepy as hell. All right. You can say things like... Bruce Spence is creepy as the gyro captain. Many people over the years (laughs) and on this podcast have said as much, but the gyro captain is such a wellspring in a desert of personality. He is so full of life. He has a joie de vivre. He is a man who is fueled by adventure and the thrill of flight. When you think about vehicles that these characters drive, Sure, Nux has the Nux car. It seems a little full of himself, if you ask me. But 
the gyro captain has this auto gyro machine. Granted, it's plastered in pornography, but that's just another element of his character and his personality. He trains and subsequently eats snakes. The man is such an enigma and a mystery and a ball of energy. And you could argue that he is the charismatic center of this film, Road Warrior, I mean, in that he starts off in much the same position that Max is in, as the loner out in the wasteland, but he's able to connect with people. And he not only connects with Max, even though it's sort of a Stockholm Syndrome situation, but he's able to connect with the other dwellers, and he goes on to become a great leader of the Northern tribe. He doesn't necessarily sacrifice his life as Nux does, but he sacrifices his gyro machine when it's shot down during the chase. He sacrifices his autonomy in defense of the greater good to help this group of people thrive in the wasteland. You don't think that he's better than Nux, though, like, really? We have one question. Is Bruce Spence sitting there with you guys right now? <laughs> <laughs> If he was, you I can just see him. I can see him bobbing his weird like, face, yes. bobbing his head. Yeah. Yes. The only reason he's not talking is because we don't have a microphone stand tall enough for him to use. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. He is definitely taller than Nicholas Holt. Yeah. If it's height, he, it's definitely, height he definitely wins there. And every other metric, though, I mean, listen, points all well taken. Also, I'm not quite clear who the gyro captain is, <laughs> if we're being honest. But I think all that taken in, I think if you guys listen to that back, you would think, okay, cool, Nux is, has the advantage. Am I wrong? Ah, it's hard for me to say. Now, are, are we lumping it at all Bruce Spence's uh, character who is sort of the autogyro pilot, but not really oh, the autogyro pilot? Okay, I know oh, that no. guy. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No, 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 okay. no, no. Jedediah the pilot guy. is a completely separate character who we're not taking into yeah. consideration here. Oh, yeah. I like that guy. Um, there is no connection there. <laughs> I mean, if we want to go into the sidekick of the sidekick, the autogyro captain comes with snakes, and uh -huh. Nux comes with weird neck growths. So I feel like that also gives the autogyro captain an advantage in this. No. They both have friends. Yeah, neck growths are awesome. Yeah, but they're he, not he snakes names... that play Mahjong. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we, and we, and we but they're tumors with faces. Right, so. we, and we don't know this. We never learned the snake's name, but we learned both of uh, Nux's friends' names. Oh, so. but one of the gyro captain's snakes kills a couple of raiders. I don't think those neck growths do very, anything very, to help yeah. the cause. Yeah, but they would have killed Nux, given time. <laughs> That's true. They were so, e e eating away at his windpipe there. Yeah. yeah. An interesting comparison between the two, a similarity, is that both Nux and the gyro captain form romantic relationships. That's true. true. And they're the, they're the only ones, with, without having to give it to the lead, which would sort of ruin things, he still gets to explore. That is a, you know, I had not considered that. That's good. Yep, it's good. Yeah, and by the end of the film, Archie Whitley's character, she is Gaga over that oh. sky captain. When oh, he's she driving definitely that bus is. at the end of the movie, she's looking at him and she just thinks he's the bee's knees. He babies. Well, I think the same thing for Nux also. Like, uh. Um, Doesn't end capable? as well for Nux. Who, yeah. who is that? Did I get the name right? Um, the redheaded lady. The, uh, is it capable? No. Wow. What's the redheaded lady's name? I um, have the faintest. Riley, Riley, Riley Keough's what's character. What's her character? Yeah, we haven't gotten to that movie yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, fair enough. No, we're, we're, we should be the experts on that one. Yeah, we'll, but, we'll say capable, but she's gaga for Nux at the end. I mean, she sees him in his totality at his last moment. I mean, we are expected and asked to see him through her eyes in that final moment when she recognizes the sacrifice that he's made, and we understand the backstory of what led him to that, that his quest is for sacrifice, but it's for the wrong goal, and then he finds the right goal and sacrifices himself, and I think she's pretty gaga. 
Mm-hmm. She'd she'd do him. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> I think she would have if yeah. he if he hadn't you know no spoilers but you know he dies guys she doesn't do him. Damn, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Sorry. But going back to the whole wardrobe thing, I feel like the pink chucks, the yellow jumpsuit, the big brown coat. I mean, hair alone. If this is a competition of who has the better hair, I feel like the gyro captain wins this one hands down. <laughs> That's not a fair metric, Rick. <laughs> it's, not, it's a, a ridiculous metric when one person is bald. <laughs> You're grasping at hair straws. But I, but I, but I, but I am going, yeah, I... I you know, the, the gyro captain, I think, uh, takes the look. Yeah, he Although, look, looks good. He looks good. Although, yeah. I like what Yuri said. I think Nux's pants, his Jenkos with his chains are awesome. <laughs> they're so 1991. And so impractical. Yeah, they're so, like, Lollapalooza. I love them. Yeah. So, we'll give that round to us, and we'll move on to the next category. Which, if I recall the list correctly, is, is not really a category. I'm, 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 I'm excited to hear you guys defend Papagallo. I have a feeling that Julie is going to switch teams on this one because this next round in Road Warrior versus Fury Road is who has the better quote-unquote main character, Papagallo or Imperator Furiosa? Uh, uh, No contest. I I don't like Papagallo. I (laughs) think he's kind of a crappy leader. I think he's not even... That you would even call him a main character. Right. I'm not sure that he's even a good character. Yeah, I kind of shot myself in the foot on this. Yeah, I think he's poorly developed. And actually, yesterday I talked about, he was my least favorite part of the movie. Wow. And I talked about how that could have been fixed, about giving more details about why should we follow him. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, no question. Papagallo's pretty crummy. He started off so good on paper, though. He did absolutely. The screenplay Papagallo is just fine. Really? Yes. Yeah. I'll have to email you guys a copy of the PDF there, but there are so many more elements to Papagallo that we don't get to see in Road Warrior that just, uh, they hurt him so much. He can't skate along with just Mick Jagger looks and expect to take this one. Trust me, I've tried my whole life, Rick. It does not get you anywhere. It's very stressful. Uh, if but listen, if potential was enough to win a contest, I'd be king of the world. You do have you, you have moves like Jagger. Though. I'm just saying I have I'm a ball of failed potential, and I don't know <laughs> if that should count for anything. I think that he's a fine character, but if not properly given life on screen, I think it bars him from this competition. Yeah, do, do, would they have given? Uh, I know I know there there hasn't been any like formal announcements yet, but they've been talking about the Furiosa movie. I mean, would, would you give Papagallo his own movie? Good question. No. Yeah. I think we've seen the most impressive thing he ever did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Rick, what do you say? Well, the pro points that I had for Papagallo is that he was a beleaguered leader of people in the wasteland. He abandoned his cushy position as a oil executive. Mm, he which we his... only know because of the screenplay. That's not in the movie. He abandoned his life in society with the collapse. He probably lost family and he went to the middle of the desert to band a bunch of misfits together for them to start producing in the wasteland. They weren't going around scavenging and feeding off of the dead carcass of society. They were actively making new fuel and being productive and growing, and he was the leader of that. And sure, one of the compound dwellers tried to lead a mutiny against him very on in the movie, and if not for Max, he probably would have lost control of the compound. But he was very good at speeches. Rick, you're the Kellyanne Conway of the wasteland. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because basically you were just describing the people eat you might as well have been describing the people eater or the bullet farmer yeah 
<laughs> I mean, you got asked two direct questions, and you talked about something off screen, and then you hyped up a, a hypothetical moral victory he has. I just feel like I recognize this tactic. I've seen it in the last two months. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> Do you guys even need to argue in favor of Furiosa? Uh, oh. Let's do it. Let's do it. In, in, uh, I'll give Yuri three words, and I'll take three words to do it. Let's do it in three words. Okay. Right, here we go. All right. Furiosa kicks ass. Great. I'll say bald, grease, badass. <laughs> wow. It was even more direct. So can we take that one? I yes. think we can give you that one. Yes. Yeah. I think even if you didn't want to, Rick, you'd have to do it for Julia. because I really would. Let's be Three honest. against one are not good odds. Yeah. When it comes to not that. in the wasteland. It'd be fine odds for Tom Hardy, but yeah. whatever. Right. That's, yeah. That's I mean, good. plus you guys get enough. bonus points for her actually being able to drive the rig. Because Papa Gallo was like, I'll drive the rig. But we all know that he would have not been able to drive that rig. <laughs> no. That would not have ended well. Yeah. yeah. He didn't do anything special driving the lone wolf. You know what he's really good at? What's that? He's really good at getting things thrown into his back and then dying. That's good. That's a that's you, a skill. No one does it better than him. Yeah. <laughs> that is not hey, negligible. Let's let's be honest. I also think Furiosa is a better shot, a better driver, tougher. Goes head to head with Tom Hardy and does very fine for herself. Mm-hmm. Papagallo, you know, even against Mel Gibson would not have lasted <laughs> a second. Yeah, he did get laid out pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Max hauled off and just got him with that one punch, and he went down like a sack of potatoes. I also don't know who Papagallo is. <laughs> I love you. I love you so much. All right. Next question. All right. The next showdown in Road Warrior versus Fury Road, who had the better supporting cast, Road Warrior with the Compound Dwellers or Fury Road with the Wives? This is a tough one. Again, you know, this is slightly more evenly matched. And I will say that um, if you measured it against the crush that I had on the, you know, the female warrior from from the compound dwellers in Road Warrior mm. versus for, for how long that crush has lasted versus, you know, my short time crush on any, you know, any one of the wives. The splendid on Garad. Yeah. Wow. You, wow. You just, I just recalled things. that without <laughs> I looking. Things, I know things. <laughs> Apparently. I would definitely, you know, say that that, that my crush has lasted longer on her, on her. But we do learn more about the wives, I would argue, over the course of Fury Road than you do of really of most of the compound dwellers. I mean, there are a couple of interesting characters in there. You know, the, the mechanic. I mean, they've got their own mechanic, which is interesting, you know, because both films had a mechanic. Yeah, do you want quantity or quality? That's the question. Yeah, I you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to have to go with, uh, with Fury Road on this one, although rogues gallery-wise, plus, you know, it, Travis might actually go with you I guys have, on I, this I, one because of... Because of Zoe Kravitz, yeah. who can just suck it off, because I think that she's a terrible actress. I think her character's terrible. I'm angry that she was cast. I'm angry that she's finding success in the world. I hope she... I mean, I hope she's happy. I want her to be happy. But I honestly think that that character is the only dead spot in a movie of brilliance and, and, and excitement for me. Because every time the camera cuts to her, she's doing some dumb thing or making a dumb look, and it doesn't make any sense to me, and I hate it, and I agree with you guys. Wow. <laughs> There, there oh, it is. that makes me so happy. There it is. <laughs> Honestly, she's not a good actress, you guys. Zoe <laughs> <laughs> so Kravitz, is she the one, she's the one that was in Thor? You... I don't know. 
No. Uh, no? Okay. No. Okay. I'm going to jump on IMDb. Yeah, jump on IMDb. I don't know what I'm talking about. Look up. She's a short-haired one who can't load a gun and gets captured and can't do anything right. Okay, if you can't load a gun, then you better be an eight-year-old feral child. Yes. Right. She can't load a gun. <laughs> Everybody else in this world of post-apocalyptic mayhem, at the very least, should be able to load and shoot a gun. Or throw a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Or not get captured, or act well. I mean, there's a lot of things she doesn't do that she should be able to do, in my opinion. In this movie, because I have told you that I have seen other places once or twice that I have enjoyed her performance. I bet she's fine. It's just in this movie, I always have to sort of, in a mediocre fashion, leap to her defense, like half-heartedly leap to her defense. Well, Yuri may work with her one day, so he has to cover his bases. I know what you really think, Yuri, because he's, <laughs> as he's saying this, he's shaking his head. You're going to be in a meeting someday, and she's going to be sitting across the table going, I really like your script, and all you're going to be able to think of is, I hope this goes through before she Here's the d- podcast. D- does a deep dive and listens to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, because like four more episodes are basically me just trashing on her acting ability. As far as the compound dwellers are concerned, I hear what you're saying, quantity over quality. However, within the compound, you've got people like Zeta, Warrior Woman, The Feral Child, Big Rebecca, Curmudgeon. You've got so much personality and individual characters that you can latch onto and identify with that I feel like they blow the wives completely out of the water. If whoa, To use whoa, a whoa. battleship board game analogy. <laughs> yeah, but hold on. I was with you till the very end. Because I, I, we're in a three-on-one three on situation here. I've crossed team boundary lines to side with you simply because of Zoe Kravitz. But I don't think it's fair to say blew them out of the water. I think uh, it's like comparable, but like I'll give, you the, I'll give you the win. Let me go to script and story for a second. If you removed the compound dwellers... From the story, do you still have the movie that basically we get anyway? And I would argue yes. But if you took... I would argue no. Okay. I I believe that both the compound dwellers and the wives are central to both stories. I don't think you can take either of them out without the movie changing fundamentally. Okay, you do have to have a, a group that he decides to step up rather than just being his own, you know, lonesome self. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel that there is more, I think the wives add more to, to the themes of the film than any individual characteristic of the compound dwellers adds to, you know, any, any of the themes expressed or, you know, important story stuff in the road warriors. You're right. There has to be a group to protect. But I think that's sort of where it ends for me with the compound dwellers versus the wives. There's this whole idea of ownership and, you know, female, you know, empowerment and enslavement. And for me, that's the more powerful statement. Mm. I think a large difference is that with Fury Road and the wives, their statement is very obvious. Mm. It is spelled out for us that they were being owned and they were slaves and that they were escaping that. Their purpose in the story is very, very clear. With the compound dwellers, each of them are much more subtle, but they each have their purpose, the point of them being there, and they're all very different from each other. You have Big Rebecca, who is maternal and mild, but when she sees something that she thinks is right, she's going to put her foot down and stand up for what she believes is right. Mm -hmm. And yes, you have plenty of people in the background who just follow whoever is in charge at the moment, and they don't mean anything. Then you have the warrior woman who puts her all into defending the compound and is willing to die and does die to protect them. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the mechanic who is completely devoted to this machine, the rig that he brought back to life 
and is going to give his life to defend it. So you have all these different characters in the compound who don't necessarily have a overwhelming uniting theme about them. They're more individual than the wives who do have a unifying theme of ownership versus freedom about them. But unifying theme doesn't preclude individuality and expression of character. I would say that they can help each other in that way. But I do feel like the compound dwellers have more individual personality. The mechanic has that amazing, to make a far out comparison, he's like Steve from Stranger Things. His hair is just so tall and full. I've never seen Stranger Things either. And his personality around on those that swing, that gimbal that he rides on, he's just got that... Mm -hmm. so specific character i mean he's the only one in the movie that gives max a nickname calls him treasure that's what i call travis and he's so individual about that and (laughs) you know zeta is a follower but he's still got that defiant streak in him when max is leaving before the final chase he goes up to papagallo and he calls into question papagallo's decision and all of these people They have their own individuality to them. And when you think of the compound dwellers, there are almost too many individuals to think of. When you think of the wives, you remember that there are five of them. Right. Well, unless you've watched the movie four minutes at a time. Right. (laughs) Right. As as many times as we've... Yeah. In which case, you think about them as individuals. (laughs) Right. I will definitely change my tune when we get to Fury Road. Or at least you think of the wives as the wives and Zoe Kravitz. That's right. You think of, oh, some amazing actresses and Zoe Kravitz. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm still prepared to side with you guys on this just because of the acting involved. But I do sort of disagree that... They don't have individually clearly defined arcs, individual arcs, individual characters. And their unifying goal certainly doesn't detract from that, in my opinion, even though I am giving my vote to the dark side for this one. And I'm, I'm going to be and I'm gonna, uh, be the Travis for a second, and, and because I, I don't remember all the names for the characters in, the, in Road War. Is Zeta the, uh, the, the bargain basement Michael York character? He's the, <laughs> He's the one that uh, gets pulled off the back of the tanker and then all of his Molotovs explode and he just dies on the road. Okay. Yeah, I think I think I think that was him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, okay. Compound dwellers take this round, but this next round is a bit more ugh, not so cut and dry because the showdown is between main antagonists, the Lord Humongous versus a Morton Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the list, that is probably one of the most evenly matched opponents. I agree with um, that. Set of mm-hmm. opponents. There is something, I mean, Lord Humongous, even, uh, you know, in, in the way that uh, the Russian is sort of unexplained in Fury Road, uh, the reason that he's got this German accent is so weird and out of the blue. He is, I think they they share a lot of characteristics and they share a lot of physical characteristics and the way they're displayed and the way they cover up their infirmities and the way they use threats and violence to control everything. They will we'll get into, you know, sort of Wes versus uh, Rictus, you know, they're, they're, they're lapdogs in, in a little bit because they also share many characteristics, but also the hockey mask over the, you know, insanely ripped muscular frame is unforgettable as, you know, just sort of a visual thing. But I'm going to have to go with Immorton for the, and it's tough again, because, you know, I have, I have an emotional, deep, long, long lasting connection with, <laughs> with Road Warrior that I don't share with Fury Road, just the nature of time. But Immorton's story and his methods and the religion that he's created to keep himself in power 
is so much more enticing to me story-wise and so much more uh, gripping for, you know, from that perspective. Whereas, you know, Humongous is just clearly the, the strongest one, you know, and has the, the gun as well. I mean, he's got all the stuff to physically to keep it in order and to stay at the top of the heap. But I think Immortan is much more conniving and evil. And I can do this quickly. I, I, agree. Yeah, do it. I agree with Yuri because I think the telling statement came at the beginning of what Yuri was saying, which is that they're evenly matched. And I think that that has to tip the scale to Immortan Joe because what happens here is there is a similar idea at play and all the dials of the character are turned up to 10 with Immortan Joe. The stakes are bigger. The power dynamics are bigger. The hunger is bigger. The disease is bigger. It's just a bigger character. So if you like Lord Humongous, you have to prefer Morton Joe. Mm. End of argument. I hear what you're saying, and I am going to award you bonus points for the fact that Morton Joe is played by Hugh Keysburn as a mm -hmm. returning actor to the series. Can't beat that. Toe cutter. However, <laughs> and you knew that was coming. Oh, well, without a doubt, that's why we're here today. Yeah. Go ahead, Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders. Let's see what you do with it. <laughs> Man, I hope all of these uh, political references uh, track like six months later. Well, six months later, yeah, I, we'll, all, we'll all be dead and they can find some history. I hope that up. when people listen to this podcast six months from now, nobody remembers those people. Yeah, same. <laughs> Trust me, guys, those jokes killed. <laughs> the thing that makes me lose points with a Morton Joe is that his main motivation is selfish. He is whipping up all of the war boys and sending his forces forth because someone stole his wives, whereas the Humongous is a leader of people. He went around the wasteland and he gathered up all of these disparate tribes. He got the gay boy berserkers and the smegma crazies and the bad cops and the mohawkers, and he got all of these different groups to work together as a body. And he comes to the compound with violence and power because he wants the gasoline inside because of the, I wouldn't say altruistic, I don't want to make him sound like some sort of wasteland savior, but he is wanting to take the compound so that he can provide for his people. A Morton Joe has the citadel, he has the his alliance with the bullet farmer farm and the gas town and he has everything already and he's devoting all of these resources to the selfish pursuit of getting the wives back whereas the humongous is trying to provide for these misfits that he's gathered together and it's just a more noble pursuit even though he's still killing people and having his raiders do all of these terrible things like stringing people up and torturing them. He's still a bad guy, but I feel like his motivations are more noble. In the Wasteland, though, noble pursuits aren't necessarily a positive. You're injecting your own personal moral decisions on these characters, and I feel like sometimes ruthlessness it's a lovely quality in a leader. And, and noble pursuits are not, not what I look, look, look to a villain for. Oh, Yuri with the zinger. Oh. Ooh, that put the stamp down. Next question. <laughs> no, Julia, what do you think? Julia, where do you sit? I'm really not sure. I'm kind of having a hard time choosing between the two. Then we're if doing our job. If there were any category that I would side with Fury Road on, it would probably be this one. I think Humongous is a little bit underdeveloped. While Immortan Joe, we get a lot of development on his character. We at least get a lot of visuals into his life. Mm -hmm. We see what his lifestyle is like. We see nothing, almost nothing, of that of the Humongous. Mm -hmm. Although I do really like, as an evildoer, that he has brought this disparate group of people together. And he does want the fuel for them 
but I don't think there's anything noble about that. It's just an extension of selfishness. It's selfishness for your group that provides you with power instead of selfishness just for yourself. I feel like I'm getting ganged up on again. <laughs> Rick, when you're wrong, saying, like... what happens is people gang up on you. It's, that's just how the world works. So you can fix that by just being right. And it's okay. <laughs> but, but just coming to coming to our, over to our side. Um, I also like the, um, this hadn't occurred to me before as much, but I like being able to, uh, one of the things that really makes a villain for me is being able to witness some of their humanity. And I don't know that I ever really get to see the underside of Humongous, he's always just posturing, and he's always on top, but with uh, Immortan Joe, we get to see him lose his shit, and we also get to see that Monsters at Rest moment that I love, where they kind of think it's over, and they, they lost, and they're, they're just out in the desert just being human. And I, I like those moments. Those, those add to villains for me, and I never got one of those for Humongous. Something that Humongous has, in a bad way, over... Immortan Joe, I was going to call him Toe Cutter. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that would have been an acceptable that response. Works. That totally works. Yes. It's a problem that we've had throughout the movie with, we talk about Humongous like, well, if he had only made an alliance with the compound dwellers, he could have his cake and eat it too, which is exactly what Immortan Joe does. He makes alliances with other groups so that he can get what he wants. Humongous mm. mm -hmm. is not interested in that. He's too lazy for that he's just not interested in making equitable deals with people mm. it could have been so easy for him to say to the dwellers okay i will provide you with protection in exchange for right as much gasoline as i darn well please right join my family like these guys have yeah yeah that could have been an equitable arrangement but he wasn't interested in any sort of equitable arrangements and I think that is an aspect that makes him more villainous than Immortan Joe. Mm, you're right. The, the, the yeah, alliances, the willingness to make alliances versus not. So I think... Uh, so I'm going to stick with you, Rick. Is that our first draw? Well, well Tygo's Tygo's the guest. I consider Gibson versus <laughs> Hardy to be a draw. <laughs> I was going to point out earlier that we're the ones that edit this. Oh, so right, right, right. we win every time. <laughs> yeah. So. Except Furiosa. We can make the editing more challenging for you guys. I just want to <laughs> register that. All right, so are we calling it a draw between Humongous and Immortan Joe? Uh, Either we're going to call it a draw or you're just going to cut that part out. So, yeah, yeah, it's hard to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as much as I hate to say it, I feel like I need to give this one to Immortan Joe. That's, that's noble. Wow. No, that's wow. noble of okay. you. That is, yeah. Wait a second. You were about to tie and you gave it up for a loss? I... I, I well, he was dishonest earlier in the podcast. Now he's being honest. <laughs> this is this, this is a character journey. He's had his own hero's journey of learning the value of honesty and integrity, and we appreciate oh, yeah. that. It's good storytelling, Rick. I'm willing to give up this round because I feel like we've got the next round in the bag because in Fury Road versus Road Warrior, we've got the argument of the lieutenant. We have Wes versus Rictus Erectus. Hmm. And I don't see it as a competition at all because Vernon Wells' yeah. portrayal of Wes in this movie is everything you could ever ask for in a Wasteland Raider and more. Because not only do you get the ferocity and the physical acumen of a Raider, you also get his interesting backstory involving the Golden Youth, how he hmm. sees Max on all these occasions and forms this sort of one-sided rivalry with him. There's the fact that Wes is the one that kills the Interceptor. Wes mm -hmm. is so powerful and ferocious and 
so much personality in the way he dresses and the way he styles his hair and how he interacts with the other raiders. He is a bright and terrible fire on the wasteland that is so amazing that I don't think he can ever be unseated. I'm going to uh, start start this in a different way this time. I'm going to immediately agree to you and give you the win and then try to talk myself out of it. I like that. That's good. Okay. Because, because I agree with all of those things that you just said. I mean, I would almost argue that as much as Max, when people, you know, look back on Road Warrior, they remember Wes. He is such an indelible mark on popular culture and, and wasteland, post-apocalypse, anything. And he is a terrific actor, and you're right. He brings a ferocity, uh, and they, they went in a different direction with Rictus. Now, you can, you can compare the two of them. They're, they're both barely controllable by their general which makes them both, on one hand, great weapons, but also very dangerous to, uh, to even own. Like, I think in, in both, you know, on the Humongous side and uh, Immortan Joe's side, I think they're just this side of killing them to make sure that nothing bad happens, you know, to them or that they ever get too powerful. But they both each have them under their control. Rictus clearly serves a different purpose over the, you know, the story in in Fury Road, he is one of the sons. He is one of the reasons that Immortan Joe is keeping the wives and trying to spread his seed and to, to make more, to make healthier male heirs for himself. He, he represents uh, something about, uh, you know, Immortan Joe and his, and his, his family and, and all of that, that Wes doesn't necessarily in the, in the first, but in the first movie and in Road Warrior, it's not really, that's not really a question. And I love the, me as a, as a young boy seeing a, any, you know, homosexual uh, relationship in a film was unlike anything that I had seen before. And it was beyond that, it was unlike any homosexual relationship I had ever seen in film or otherwise. So it breaks so many boundaries in, you know, which for an action movie, you know, we'd argue is not even the place for that. You don't need that. And yet it brought so much to the and was never really commented on. I mean, nowadays they comment on it. You're not and, talking and they yourself did. out of it the way you said you were going Damn to. Damn it. I was, you know, I was, I was hoping I would talk myself out of you it. You did the opposite of what I'm you said doing, you were going to do. <laughs> you, well, call, I, you call it Rick disease. You lied to all of us. And and I, if, you know, if, uh, if we've learned anything on our podcast is that I'm a liar. I here, Go, okay. here, Jump look, in because I'm Wes, doing a terrible job. No, Wes is great. Okay, look, fine. You know, you all agree Wes is great. But here's the thing about Rictus Erectus. He is the best most purest example of the wasteland. He's a pure, unbridled fury. He's pure, unbridled musculature and it's power over intellect. It's, he's such a good summary of what the wasteland is. He's an enfant terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I don't speak French, but I've read that so phrase was, before. You're from Louisiana though, so you, you yeah. sort of have it. I put a little Cajun <laughs> flair on it. But he is, he is just unbridled muscle. And, and there's something about seeing that unleashed in the wasteland in a, uh, in a combat situation that really, to me, drove home part of the core idea of the movie, which is that this is where, yeah, intellect goes so far here. And I would say that Wes's intellect and cleverness work against him in this, in this argument because he does a, a worse job of representing some core ideologies of the wasteland because that fight he has at the very end is against Max is crystallizing a lot of the core ideas of the wasteland into just you know visceral physical punches and kicks and things. I mean, even his cost Nathan Jones' costume is so perfect in that way. He's getting fed oxygen. He's got he's just he's got his muscles shown off. He's designed to look intimidating and terrible. And he's got the IQ of a walnut, and that's that is such <laughs> a does, great thing. He does provide much more comic relief than Wes does. I he's would much argue. funnier. He's a much funnier which, which, character, which, which is something you need, Dad. 
dad, 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 dad. He's he's the Eric Trump of the wasteland. I'm sorry to keep being political here, but it's not incorrect. So I don't know. I think there's something that crystallizes for me when watching. I do enjoy both those characters. It's a very tough one. I'll just be combative and say Rictus Erectus, A, because he's got a much better name, I think, in my opinion. And also, I think he crystallizes a core component of the Wasteland that's not seen so clearly in other characters, and I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to destroy all your arguments with one word. Chaps. Chaps. Right. <laughs> that's fair. You also Chaps. need to consider how the big boss treats him, because Immortan Joe does not see Rictus Erectus as a perfect specimen for him to leave his empire to. That's why he's still having more sons. However, Humongous looks at Wes as the most ferocious dog of war in his horde, and he is willing to keep Wes around. He puts him in a bear hug and explains, be still, my dog of war. You will have your revenge. We're going to have this gasoline. And he allows Wes to continue. As many times as Wes goes against what Humongous wants, Humongous values Wes so much that he keeps him around close at his side. I feel like if Immortan Joe loved Rictus as much as people would think that he does, he wouldn't be trying for more sons. He'd be satisfied with Rictus. So I feel like that's another point for Wes. It depends on what you're looking for. I, I think that the idea of crystallizing the character down to core attributes helps the storytelling so much that his name is Rictus Erectus. He's a ball of muscle. He's pure machismo. He's just um, masculinity in all its terrible, terrible ways unleashed onto the world. And that highlights the world Nux comes from. We're seeing the world Nux comes from, and it makes his transformation all that more magical and valuable because we see what he was up against. We see the crystallized masculinity, that toxic masculinity that he's been raised in exemplified in this one character and it depends on what you're looking for in terms of a holistic movie i think that rictus directus does certain things that wes doesn't do in terms of a more complex fully realized character i think that wes has that but i don't think that that's what rictus directus is supposed to be i don't think that's the goal of that character hmm. they both bring a lot to the table but i feel like the stuff that wes brings gives him the win in this category so we're running really close to uh, out of time, but I want to give one more category its chance in the sun. We're going to be talking about the grunts, where it's going to be the Lord Humongous's Horde versus the War Boys. Who had the better cannon fodder? I know we've touched on this already in this episode, but I'm going to go unequivocally with the War Boys on this one. The mythology that is created throughout the course of this movie, and not even the course, like even in the first five minutes of this movie, I think is so much more uh, intriguing and, and gripping and deep and resonant than any of the stuff that, you, you know, you've already talked about, I think, with you know, the different tribes that Humongous brought together. A lot of that, I feel, comes through if you've read the, the screenplay, but not on screen necessarily. And yet with the War Boys, through their chants and their language and their, you know, their paint specifically and the scarification and the rituals they go through, and when what's important to them and, the, you know, their religion, their deification of Immortan Joe and the fact that this many years later, if they had a, a singular, you know, thing that could be called out, you know, we'd still remember it. But and yet, you know, everybody, even if they don't really understand or have only seen the movie once, you know, are still crying out witness. <laughs> it is uh, there's so many moments in, in, you know, in which they get to, to shine. And I'm not even just digging into Nux. I'm just talking about them as a whole. Yeah, I would argue this is this is as clear cut for me as, you know, Furiosa versus Papagallo was. Agreed. 
I'm not so quick to give up the win on this one because I feel that the Lord Humongous's Horde may not have the religion of the V8. They may not be as wholly devoted to Humongous as the Warboys are to Immortan Joe, but what they lack in religious fanaticism, they make up for by just being individuals that have chosen of their own free will without any sort of fanatical devotion to follow the Humongous. They are their own people. We see so many different raiders in the Lord Humongous's horde that are their own people. I'm thinking specifically of the tent lovers from Max's run on the compound, those people that just love tents. Oh. <laughs> and we we see the two of them engaging in sexy times, but you've also got the, you've also got the individual raiders in their own factions. That are incredibly interesting. You've got a whole group of guys dressed head to toe in leather driving old cop cars. That's incredibly interesting. And the Mohawkers themselves are just a whirlwind of personality. You've got that one scene where Wes is getting his head shaved and you've got a guy in the horde that's just a barber. He's there cleaning up Wes's Mohawk and right next to them is this lady raider which is something you definitely don't see in the war boys the war the humongous's horde is more gender inclusive but she's there and she's sharpening this axe and so you've got such a more collection of real people in the horde and i will also add diversity does not uh, imply realness but go on humongous's horde kills a lot more of the compound dwellers than the war boys killing the people on the war rig well, you've, you've highlighted two things that are important to you, which is diversity and efficacy. And I don't know that those are how, <laughs> how we judge character development in films. But fair, I mean, both, both those things are, are true. But from your, your argument you made on the last point, if you prize highly developed characters, deep mythology and com complexity of character, you have to give the nod to the war boys. Because just based on your last summary, which I think is accurate and fair, you get a glimpse of these people in an implied depth, but not an explicit exposited depth and in uh with the war boys you get exposited depth complete mythology full character arcs you know they look cool like all that stuff is there i think so if you want to stand by your last argument i think you have to give the nod to the war boys here yeah it's hard to give it up i logic you son you got so logic <laughs> yeah <laughs> the mythology that they build up around the cult of the v8 just it's hard to fight that when all you've got is Haircuts. Exactly. <laughs> I'm leaning towards the war boys. My only hiccup with that is... You're married to Rick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> feel obligated to follow him. No. <laughs> is that the, the group that we see in The Road Warrior, these people remember pre-apocalypse. They had other lives before this. And then the apocalypse happened and everything fell apart and society is gone. And they are left to figure out how to move forward. So they form gangs with some sort of theme about them. They all cut their hair the same way, have slumber parties and do their hair. <laughs> right. Baseball fury style. Yeah, I get it. Warrior style. Yeah, yeah. warrior style. Yes. <laughs> we all love roller skating. <laughs> so they're figuring out how to rebuild their society and this is how that they have decided they want their society to be they want to have gangs where they all stick together and then one day this guy comes along and says hey what if all the gangs stick together huh huh then we can take down anybody who stands in our way yeah so there's a lot of history there mm. i feel like you're reaching because <laughs> 
I feel like you're reaching because you don't want to sleep on the couch. I'm reaching because I don't want Rick to sleep on the couch tonight. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's what I meant. So I will reluctantly give this one up to the war boys. Now, you guys have a hard out, and I feel like we're brushing up against that. And that's probably a good thing, because if we got to this next category, I feel like it would give you the win. But, I mean... If you guys can't stick around for it, I mean, we'll... You're teasing us, and I'll just say we accept the win. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You're generous and kind. I can't award it to you if we don't argue, because the last category was going to be the vehicles, and it was going to be the tanker versus the war rig. But, you know, we don't have time... Cool. We gotta let you guys go. Well, let's just do. We can do it in five. We can do it in five words. Yeah. yeah. Lightning round. Here it goes. Here, here's the quick words. Okay. The war rig is better. <laughs> <laughs> the tanker is is worse. Just, is worse. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions? Oh, I have an argument, but we don't have time. Oh, just quickly do it. Without the tanker, would you have ever had the war rig? Well, now that's a whole different argument, because without <laughs> a lot of things, you wouldn't have had the other things or inspirations. But that doesn't make them better. <laughs> it means the war rig's better because it's refined. It's, it's improved. Mm-hmm. 2.0. Oh, see, the war rig is presented to us in a complete state. The rig, we have to find it and piece it together and we have to fight for those different pieces. Well, so it's if, a story if point. Gonna, Come on. If, if, you, if you're going to go to the to the screenplay, which most, most people don't have the access to, I'm going to go to the comic books and um, the, the war rig. There's a whole comic on how the war rig came to be and all of its, like the, the origin of all of its pieces and the vehicles that got cobbled together. It's sick as fuck, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the comics that takes place between Thunderdome and Fury Road? No, it's the, it's canonical comics released as done by Mark Sexton. A lot of them done by done as part of the uh, storyboarding of Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, because there's there's comics that we're planning on covering in between Thunderdome and Fury Road, so that might be it. I don't think they're the same ones. I mean, this is pre Fury Road is a lot of the material. Oh, okay. But I don't think it necessarily connects yeah. Thunderdome in any discernible way. But definitely, no. we did an episode on them, and they're awesome. And you should do, you should take the time to read them. They're great. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll call this one a very close draw, and let our listeners discuss who should have won in our Facebook group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Gentlemen, it has been great having you back. Uh. I don't want to keep you from your other pursuits. (laughs) So I will just say thank you to all of our listeners for sticking with us through all of Mad Max to the Road Warrior. We are still going to do hiatus material in the upcoming weeks, so pay attention to the Facebook page for information about that. And I guess we'll see you beyond the Thunderdome. Godspeed. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 95 of the Road Warrior. And that's it. That's it.